Good morning, everyone. Um, as Father Aaron said, my name is Micah. I am, before I begin with today's passage, I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a dreamer. Uh, as many of you know, especially if you've been situated in close proximity to me at any social gathering, um, I kind of have a strange obsession with collecting information. Um, my most recent adventures have been uh, more podcasts than I'm proud to admit on uh, like forest ecosystems, uh, <laughs> particularly the, the sharing of nutrients between trees of different species. And if you find that interesting, you should talk to me afterward because it's kind of fascinating. Um, but before then, you could probably find me on a lazy Sunday afternoon reading up on the ingredients in uh, like traditional French cuisine or um, studying the domestication of foxes, uh, which is only done, unsurprisingly, in one farm in the world. Uh, it's in Russia, in case you're curious. Um, and all that to say, from a very young age, from a very, very young age, um, I had this unquenchable thirst for discovery. And I, I, was, I was a dreamer. I believed I could, I could learn these things, attain these things. Um, and I grew up, I grew up in North Georgia, so my, uh, my area of, of influence was kind of conducive to this. Lots of woods, lots of mountains. Um, but the gatekeepers of, of my life, uh, for my safety, um, they, they didn't always let me go and discover when I wanted to. And if, if I could tell you, if I could tell you how many times I heard something like, maybe later, okay? <laughs> or, um, yeah, I promise you can tomorrow. Um, as I got older, those promises began to solidify a little bit. Um, they became a little bit more concrete. And so the promises might have sounded something like this. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll visit the Grand Canyon before you go to high school. Um, or uh, next Christmas, you'll get a microscope, okay? N next Christmas, we promise. Um, so many promises that I counted on in my kid mind, uh, and many of them never came true. Um, as I grew up, I thought I figured it out. Promises were just emotional ways to satisfy someone with something that you can't really follow through with, like a, a lie, but it's okay because it's a promise. Um, I began to convince myself, it's, it's fine. You know, yeah, I, I didn't want to see the three different levels of sedimentary rock in the Grand Canyon anyway. Uh, and, and uh, you know, like comparing the cell wall of a plant cell with the, the membrane of my own skin cell, I, I don't have to do that. I don't, I don't need that. Um, th these sound kind of trivial. Uh, well, I'm not going to say they are because I don't think they are. But they, <laughs> they sound kind of trivial, right? Um, there were some promises, though, that weren't as uh, easy to dismiss. Um, and there was one promise that kind of broke the camel's back of promises for me. Um, when my parents filed for divorce when I was in high school, I could count on two hands the number of times I've been assured that would never happen. Um, and my hunch is that you know the feeling that I'm talking about. Someone has promised you something that in your kid mind, even as an adult, you were depending on, and they bailed. Uh, they didn't follow through. Uh, maybe you were promised something at work that you were cheated out of. Um, or maybe worse, maybe you were promised someone's affection only to find that they couldn't actually, they just actually couldn't stay. Um, what do we do to survive these things? I'll tell you what I did and what I'm afraid I'm still tempted to do. Um, I, I just don't listen to the promises. I don't, I don't listen to the promises given to me because it's safer that way. 
It's much, much safer that way. It's too painful to watch hope die. So I just trained myself to be planted in soil that didn't allow hope to grow in the first place. Um, My roots were firmly planted in the soil of unbelief. And when the season of harvest came, I bore despair. But at least I knew what to expect, and at least I didn't have to run the risk of actually trusting someone. Today's sermon is about what it looks like to be transplanted from soil of unbelief into the fresh soil of God's revelation, and that allows hope to grow. That might sound abstract. We're going to ground it, I promise. Um, So I'm going to attempt a little imaginative exercise with you, and I believe you can do it with me. Um, We're going to pretend like we're Jewish people in the first century. Uh, Sounds like fun. Um, For some background, as a Jewish person in the first century, as you're prepping for this exercise, you should know that it's relatively easy for you uh, to despair and to plug your ears to God's promises. Uh, At this point, it's been 700 years since God promised that he would one day raise up a new king. And not just any king for you. This king is supposed to bring perfect justice. He's supposed to be such an incredible man that he wears God's righteousness like a belt around his waist. On top of that, he's going to remove the wicked with just one word. And um, he'll destroy all evil government. He'll do what David couldn't do. When he reigns... Isaiah says, so this is 700 years ago at this point, if you're the first century Jew, when he reigns, evil and death will be so broken that a wolf and a lamb are going to be playing together in a field while a lion watches nearby with a mouthful of straw, maybe kale. (laughs) It's nuts because you look around and your situation, it's pretty grim. Um, On top of all of that, since God made that promise, this same God that made the promise has allowed your people to be taken over by Assyria, Babylon, Greece, and now Rome. Here, friends, as Jews in the first century, we're faced with a couple options. Um, We have a promise, but how do I put my faith in this promise when I've seen my people ravaged over and over and over again? And justice seems to be very far away. And dare I say, do I even want to hope in this promise? Because what if I just get my hopes up? The way you see it, you have two options, okay? So option number one, and I like to call this person the skeptic, okay? You come to grips with reality, right? You read the signs and see that, hey, it's been 700 years of this stuff, and no King David round two has shown up, uh, and surprise, no one's actually coming. So uh, I'm just going to bite the bullet, be the realist that I'm made to be, Uh, and move on without encouraging some sort of foolish, childlike hope that only leads to more and more disappointment. That's the skeptic. Uh, Option number two, the second option you have, I like to call this person the desperately religious. And this option can be a little bit sneakier because at first it seems to accept what God says. Um, Sounds like this. All right, so a king's coming. That's what it says. And everything's going to be fixed. That's what it says. Granted, I mean, we're not given specifics, but we're smart enough to figure it out, right? Like, when he comes, he'll obviously overthrow Rome first, and then, uh, by God's help and with his own supernatural military strength, he'll establish Israel as the greatest political entity in the world. Yeah, it's coming. Friends, when the promised king does come, 
both of these options grow unbelief in human hearts. And this unbelief fills the stomach of the people with just enough strength to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Because the revelation of God does come. This new king does come. And yet something with the people goes terribly wrong. I want to move on. Soon we're going to move into today's gospel passage. Um, But I want to note something. that The first option here seems more blatantly wrong, right? Obviously just blatantly rejecting what God had promised. But the second option is just as deadly to faith. And I want you to hear me this morning when I say this. The reason this second option is just as deadly to faith is because it assumes that I can control God's promises with my own reasoning. In both cases, when God speaks, I do not listen. I talk over him. It's safer that way. When I talk over God's promises, I don't have to deal with the possibility of getting my hopes up only to have them crushed in front of my eyes. Instead, with both of these options, I put my faith in my own understanding and my own reason. It's safer, but friends, when I do this, uh, I'm left hopeless. I'm left turned in on my own unbelief and my own uncertainty. Hope cannot grow here. Let me provide a simple illustration of how this might look today. Okay, so um, I'm going to do this, let's say this person's Jane. All right, and Jane was raised by parents who certainly weren't perfect, but they they loved the Lord, and they raised her going uh, to church every week until Jane's mom was diagnosed with a rapidly growing cancer. Okay, and let's say um, let's say that um, Jane's mother um, passes away, uh, and, and during that time of of struggle, the church was their church was nowhere nowhere to be found, nowhere near. Except for one time when Jane finally did open up to someone and uh, an older woman in the church and, and her response was just kind of like nodding and grimacing and then silencing the conversation by telling Jane, God's in control. When Jane's mother passes away, Jane and her father never darken the door of their church again. Um, Jane grows up a little. She goes to college. And while studying there, she makes some friends who love the Lord. After being around them enough, she notices that her faith is growing, and through the voice of a faithful friend, God is calling Jane to participate in the community of a local church. Jane is faced with a couple options, the options I just listed. She could be the skeptic. It's really easy for Jane to talk over God's call and convince herself that, you know, that's just going to set me up for failure in the future, and I know those kind of people. They don't really listen, and when they do, their advice isn't the best. So uh, thanks, no thanks. Option number two being the desperately religious. What would that look like? You can count, if Jane is the desperately religious, you can count on seeing her there on Sunday and on Wednesday and on every single prayer meeting. Um, Probably see her there on Christmas Eve, Good Friday, um, and every church finance meeting, just to dot the I, cross the T. Um, She'll be there. But you'll be hard-pressed to find Jane actually letting people into her life. She takes what God has called her to, participating in the church community, and she defines what that looks like because she thinks that actually having hope that the people there will love her, that's only going to end in disappointment. She knows these people. Friends, there there are not just two options for Jane. 
uh, and, and the skeptic and the desperately religious are challenged by another way of responding to God's revelation. If the skeptic despises revelation, despises what God said, his promise, and if the desperately religious tries to master it, then what is, uh, what is the third option? How does someone choose hope even when it's painful and even when they don't believe? Brothers and sisters, listening to God's revelation is the birthplace of hope in the face of despair and unbelief. Listening. And today's gospel passage is a real life, real time retelling of this in the life of a very, very ordinary guy. Um, I I would love for you to uh, listen or follow along with me in your bulletins. Uh, I'm going to read the gospel passage again from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he, named, he called his name Jesus. Joseph, in the beginning of this passage, is faced with a pretty grim situation. Um, Mary's a young woman that he's engaged to be married to. And they've already entered the year-long waiting period before the wedding. During this time before the wedding, uh, both of them are already considered married. But they live separately with their own families and prepare for the wedding day when their marriage will enter its final and lifelong stage. Should something arise that would inhibit the two people from coming together, a legal divorce had to be sought. It's the law. And it's in this time that Joseph finds that Mary's pregnant. Here, Joseph is faced with a hard reality. Not too different from your reality and my reality. And he knows how to read these signs. Everybody does. Right? Mary's pregnancy is nothing other than a testimony to sexual unfaithfulness, a shame to Joseph, and honestly, an affront to God's holiness. But Joseph is a man of faith, and not not in some trivial way. We see him respond to these terrible circumstances in a way that testifies to very practical godliness. Joseph responds, and I have to emphasize this, he responds to a seemingly undignified situation in a really dignified manner. Holy Scripture says that Joseph was a just man, and he was unwilling to put Mary to shame, and that's why he resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph being just meant that he can't ignore the situation. He must divorce her. The law demands it. If he doesn't, he'll be seen as an accomplice in her sin. On top of that, everyone in their small community will probably assume that they broke the period of waiting before their wedding day because they're not good at waiting. If 
if he doesn't address this, he isn't just. However, in the text, we see the grace of God in a man of God. He is unwilling to shame Mary publicly, so he decides to divorce her quietly. I want to make a note here, okay? Hope in this situation is impossible. Hear me on that. Hope in this situation is impossible. Joseph is merely collateral damage to the sin thrust upon him by being close to a perpetrator. It's collateral damage. The best case scenario, best case scenario for him, he moves on, finds another young woman, and um, hopefully overcomes the insecurities that come from being someone whose intimate trust has been violated. Maybe you can relate to this hopelessness in one way or another. Um, Maybe some of you have been collateral damage to someone else's choices. Maybe it's been severe enough to keep your life from ever being the same. And after all, you didn't choose that sin in the first place. Someone close to you did. So why does it keep hurting you? If, if you've experienced this, you can relate to the hopelessness in this situation. I, as someone who has been left feeling hopeless um, because of someone else's selfishness, Joseph's response to his hopeless situation astounds me. His response to Mary is a beautiful picture of responding to the pain of being violated with grace. Look, Joseph Joseph does not plan to to wed Mary anyway. He doesn't plan to take, take her as his wife anyway. Occasionally, I'll hear people who've been severely hurt by someone encouraged to stay close to those people in the name of being Christ to them. Um, And I want to acknowledge that those situations are complex and everyone is different. But I do want to say that in Joseph, we have a holy example of someone who does not embody grace by subjecting himself to further shame and further abuse. Joseph's a bit of an unsung hero during Advent, I think. (laughs) Because in the face of his hopeless situation, Joseph still lives a life of grace. He refuses to publicly shame Mary. But this is not where the narrative leaves off. And friends, if you feel like you're stuck in that place personally, I want to say that is not where your narrative leaves off. As Joseph considers these things, God speaks. Listen again, if you'll indulge me, listen again to verses 20 through 23. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. End quote. That's all Joseph gets. And then Matthew gives us a little tidbit more. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, in the beginning of what I just read, God encounters Joseph in the intimacy of his sleep and invites Joseph to trust him. Up until this point, Joseph's situation was hopeless. But in the foggy, vulnerable place of Joseph's sleep, something changes. And what is it? God speaks. Friends, God's revelation, his word, his promises, that's the only thing that is conducive conducive to allowing the fragile vine of hope to grow. God's revelation is the only soil conducive 
conducive to growing the fragile vine of hope. In one night, in one night, Joseph's plans carefully made in response to great pain and great shame are altered uh, dramatically. Yeah, right? God himself speaks to Joseph and tells him not to fear taking Mary as his wife because the child in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And, And he tells Joseph, you need to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Let's look back to the, 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 the two options that Joseph has, okay? Option number one, Joseph could have been Joseph the skeptic, all right? As Joseph the skeptic, come on, God. I can read the signs. Since the beginning of time, women have only become pregnant in one way, and this, this has actually been pretty painful, and if I'm honest, kind of hopeless. So thank you, no thank you, if, uh, and, and forgive me if I can't believe what you're trying to tell me. This response, friends, demands an assurance that he is able to understand his circumstances apart from what God says. I know how this works, thank you very much. Right? You've said it, I've said it. And to this response, I would love to quote one uh, theologian who 500 years ago confronted this same attitude toward God speaking, toward, toward God's revelation. And he says this, he says, the testimony of the Spirit is more excellent than all reason. Why? Because God alone is a fit witness to himself in his word. Friends, your ability to reason and my ability to reason can only take us so far. Uh, And and where it does take us when it conflicts with what God is saying is often sterile soil that doesn't allow hope to grow. But praise God, Joseph Joseph was not the skeptic during the first advent. But you may be asking, what about the desperately religious? If he's not that, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, okay, if if I'm honest, like, yeah, I believe all of these things, but I have trouble trusting that he's going to do them. Joseph Joseph is placed in 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 a difficult position if he's the desperately religious. Notice that God only gives Joseph relatively limited information, right? He's told... um, He's told that the one in Mary's womb is conceived by the Holy Spirit and that he needs to be named Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. He is not told that in addition to this, that Jesus will save, I don't know, the entire world, right? On top of that, Joseph isn't told, hey, you're going to raise him as your own son to love him and cherish him, for him to be beaten, scourged, mocked, crucified, buried, and resurrected. He isn't told that the greatest shift in human history is being inaugurated in the womb of the woman that he's betrothed to. No, no, no. What he's told is that this child's conceived by the Holy Spirit. How does that work? And on top of that, you need to name him Jesus. Matthew tells us that this fulfills a prophecy, that the one in Mary's womb is Emmanuel, is God with us? Joseph isn't even brought into that nugget of information, okay? Um, God tells Joseph just enough, just enough for hope to grow. He tells Joseph just enough for hope to grow and bear the fruit of hope, which is obedience. Rather than responding as a desperately religious person who demands authority over the revelation he's given, Joseph responds in the vein of the third option. Joseph listens. 
Joseph listens. He places himself in a posture of reception. And this isn't the first time we've seen this in the Gospels. It's, it's everywhere. These are the people God commands. Think of Mary. The Holy Spirit, uh, it, well, the Lord speaks to Mary through the angel. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And you're going to conceive the Christ child in your womb. What is her response? She says this, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let me pause for a second. I, I go kind of fast. I talk fast. I'm sorry. Uh, you may be thinking, that's all well and good, Micah. Good job. Uh, I don't think you really get my situation. I can't help being the skeptic. And I can't help being the desperately religious person. It's how I think, for crying out loud. And uh, forgive me if, if I don't listen to everything you're saying, because, because unbelief is racking my mind. And, and, and I want to, but I can't. Friends, if that describes what you're thinking, I first want to encourage you and tell you this. You're in good company. Millennia of saints have gone before you and thrashed and flailed in the soil of despair because of unbelief. I myself have soaked many sections of carpet with my tears because I want an answer. I want an understanding into what my pain means. Why do I have it? Brothers and sisters, what does it look like to choose to believe God? Am I really just setting myself up for more disappointment and more failure? What I see attested to in this passage and what I've seen in my own life is this. When you do not believe, when you do not believe and you're overcome by the despair of hopelessness, listen anyway. Listen anyway. The Lord himself says that faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes from the word of Christ. What does this mean for you? It means that God is speaking to you here. At this church, in his scriptures, and as you come forward to take bread and wine, God is speaking, so choose to listen. I plead with you to not let this fall on hard ears. In the midst of unbelief, uncertainty, and pain, the best thing you can do is listen. Why do you think we come here every week? We as the people of God come to hear from our Lord and encounter him every week so that the very fragile, weak, brittle little seeds of faith can be thrown across fresh soil of what God says, what God reveals, and our lives can nurture the vine of hope. And what happens after that? It bears the fruit of obedience. Even in the face of unbelief. I want you to see how this happens with Joseph. So uh, I'm going to read verses 24 and 25 again, uh, and listen to this. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph obediently humbled himself and took Mary as his wife. To the surrounding community... To everybody else, this looks like a bunch, of, a bunch of kids, a couple of kids, didn't have enough self-restraint, hurried into sexual intimacy before it was time, and so they just got married quick. Regardless of this, Joseph is obedient. 
he takes Mary as his wife and he names the Christ child Jesus because as his name means, he will save. A situation that seemed hopeless was changed by God speaking. And Joseph listened. In listening, Joseph was given the faith faith, to trust what God had revealed and to be obedient thereafter. This was his challenge in the first advent. And I want to say, before I close, I want to argue that we're kind of sitting in the challenge of the second advent. Personally, I can say that I'm, I'm afraid I'm often too much like Israel before Christ's first coming. And I tend toward a skepticism and in a tendency toward this desperately religious uh, desperation. Life's hard, right? I think all of us can attest to that. Life's hard, and, and frequently I'm faced with the harsh realities of death, injustice, fractured relationships, distorted desires, and the list goes on and on and on. <coughs> Things are not the way they're supposed to be. I know how to read the signs. It's been 2,000 years, and he hasn't come. And my high school world history class taught me enough to recognize that world religions are probably just constructs of society that ebb and flow with the political, social, and cultural structures in which they're situated, right? I mean, come on. It's been 2,000 years. It's time for me to bite the bullet, be the realist that I'm made to be, and uh, deny these basic instincts that I have to try and find something to hope in. I praise God for Christmas. Uh, I love Christmas. And the reason why is because at Christmas, I'm forced to deal with reality. I'm forced to deal with what God has said and what he says. God has spoken into the hopeless situations of my humanity, rendering them hopeful. The Holy Spirit did conceive the Christ child in Mary's womb. And God did become one of us. I, I want to note something here. Joseph, Joseph had to have God speak to him for him to know that, Mary, that the child in Mary's womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Given Joseph's natural assumption that God does not go about conceiving the promised one in the wombs of young women. And friends, you and I have to have God speak to us for us to recognize Jesus as the Son of God, given our natural presumption that surely God doesn't become one of us. But God did conceive the Christ child in Mary's womb. And God did become one of us, despite all of our natural assumptions. My assumptions, Joseph's assumptions, dare I say your assumptions, are frequently wrong. And we need God to speak and to give us the faith to listen to what he is saying. Um, my anxious heart groans and bellows as I'm confronted by the harsh realities that I'm situated in. I imagine yours probably does some, something similar. Uh, on my worst days, I wonder if Christ really isn't coming back. It's been 2,000 years. But at Christmas, that bellowing and that groaning it turns into song. Um, you see, it's not surprising. It's not surprising that I need God to speak in order to know that Jesus is coming back. Given my natural assumption that surely he wouldn't wait for 2,000 years. 
But as I experience hopelessness coming from a self-protective urge to not get my hopes up, to not actually buy into the promise that Jesus is coming back to set things right. In that place, God speaks. And he says this. He says, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, I pray that you and I, people caught in the awkward gap between the first advent and the second advent, people suffering from the fear of crushed hopes, people suffering from being collateral damage to someone else's sin or bearing the weight of your own, I pray that we would listen. Because listening to God's revelation is the birthplace of hope. It's where hope can grow. So when you don't believe, listen anyway. If you'll indulge me, uh, I would like to close by praying the lyrics of one of my favorite Christmas hymns that I think is particularly fitting uh, for this morning's sermon. If you'll pray with me. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine own sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.